Thank you for allowing me to be here again. It's uh, kind of interesting. A number of years now, I've kind of set aside a week in August to to, uh, be part of this and be part of your summers in the Psalms. And uh, it's been great. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And and, uh, uh, it it causes me to uh, work hard. Uh, The psalm I'm dealing with today is something that was a psalm that I had not worked on before. A number of ones that you've assigned me, I have done some work on before, but this one is kind of brand new for me. So uh, it was great to bury myself in the text and to uh, think about what this psalm really was about. A number of years ago, in a student assignment uh, in my psalms class, um, I had assigned that uh, the students were to do a, uh, an ex- a written exposition of the psalm of their choice. And this student, uh, a young woman, uh, chose Psalm 77 which is our psalm for study this morning. And in her introduction to her exposition of Psalm 77, she wrote this. I remember my first sleepless night. I lay awake staring at the ceiling and wondered, what am I going to do? Everything was crashing around me, and I didn't know what was to come. What was I going to say to my parents, my friends, I had written a final exam in calculus and bombed it. After that exam, I thought everything was over. The big picture in my life was falling apart to become a doctor. It wasn't supposed to be like this. God, I thought you were bigger than a calculus exam. It was a tough Christmas break. I couldn't get away from my thoughts. I finally got the exam back. The bell curve average was 35%. (laughs) I got a strong 33%. It was not a great mark, but at least I was in there with the rest of the class. I had to get back to the big picture and remember why I was doing this. There were other options, such as summer studies at the U of T, three hours a night, two nights a week, So for my first summer break at university, I was taking a calculus course. I had to remember how I had gotten to where I was. I had to remember how God had been instrumental in every aspect of me even getting to university. I was so quick to forget But when my world at that time was crashing around me, it was hard to remember anything good that God had done. And the key word in her little opening uh, paragraph there was the word remember and not forget. Three times she used the word remember and its opposite, one more time, forget. And by the way, that student did go on to be a doctor. How many times have we been in a similar place? Failure, loss of hope, disappointment, fear of telling others, 
These are real and too often, too often we hurry past these moments and times. And so often it is shaped by failure to remember. Failure to remember all that God has done and is doing for us and his people. It's not new. It's not unique to any of us. It's the common human condition to live in the now and to allow that to dominate all that we are and do and to forget the long view. And it was true for the biblical writers and the psalmists. And so today we're going to look at a psalmist and a psalm that helps us with these times of disappointment and when God seems far away. And our psalm for study, the assignment I got from Pastor Allen this year, was Psalm 77. So if you've got a Bible, by all means turn there. We're going to walk through it. We're going to actually study it verse by verse. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, you've got a phone, you, know, you can look it up on your phone. We're using the NIV if you are looking that up. But we're going to read it from the screen. So uh, if you look at the screen, I'll read the psalm to you. And then uh, we'll go back and we'll have a little closer look at it. So here we go. The title of the psalm is, for the director of music, for Jedithan of Asaph. And then it simply says, it's a psalm. I cried out to the Lord for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord, and at night I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing, and I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject me forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the days, the, the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O oh God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You, you display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were never seen. You led your people like a flock. By the hand of Moses. And Aaron. 
This is the reading of God's holy word. And so what do we find here? What is the message of this song? And I would suggest that what we find in this psalm, we find the psalmist leading us through a pilgrimage of an anguished sigh, verses 1 to 9, to a song of remembrance and confidence, verses 10 to 20. In this psalm, we will find the psalmist, God by the name of Asaph, leading us through the pilgrimage of an anguished sigh to a song of remembrance and confidence. We will see the word remember four times, similar to the story of the, my young stu- my student a few years ago. And the psalmist will start with this anguished sigh, thinking that God had forgotten him. And then he will come back to a recording of remembering all the things that God had done for him and his people, and that will give him confidence for the future. So just a little bit about the psalm as we got going. We see that there is a title, and the title goes for the director of music for Jedithan of Asaph, and it says it's a song. So it starts off by saying it's for the director of music, which means that it was given to the choir director to teach the choirs who taught the people who sang the song. So we know that this song, and they all were, but we know specifically that this song was sung as part of the public worship of the people of God back in Israel's day. It says it's for Judithan, or Judithan, uh, that's another name for Ethan. And he was one of the three, the three people that David had appointed to lead the worship life of Israel. Heman, Ethan, and Asaph. The author of the psalm is Asaph. Asaph is the chief of those three that David had appointed. Asaph was the number one worship leader in ancient Israel in David's day. And this is the psalm that he wrote. In fact, if you look carefully at your Bibles, you'll notice that Asaph wrote 11 psalms in a row, beginning Psalm 73. And this is one. Psalm 77 is part of that sequence of 11 psalms that we find recorded in our Bibles in this section. The psalm we would call a psalm of lament. Of the 11 psalms in Asaph's little collection here, one-third of them either are or contain lament. And I think we all know by now that the largest category of psalms in the book of Psalms is not praise, is not thanksgiving, is not trust, but lament. And so when we read a psalm like this, we understand that this, in fact, is, in some sense, the majority voice of the worship book and songbook of ancient Israel, the synagogue and the first century church. I think that's a powerful thought. And Asaph, as the chief musician and the chief worship leader in ancient Israel, knew the language of lament. And he knew how to lead the people in lament. And I would argue that it's an important voice for the church today that we don't often hear. 
So let's walk through it. Let's find out what Asaph had to say here. And we begin with a sigh. A sigh of anguish bewilderment. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God. Twice he says, I cried out, I cried out. Then he, he, he carries on with this intense language. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out in tiring hands. I, I, I would not be comforted. This is language of deep pain. This is language of deep lament. This is language of, of deep despair. We don't know the situation that Asaph was in. We don't know what the, what the reality is behind all this. And what this does, it allows us to pour into, uh, pour into this psalm our experience. These words become our words. And as we go through the times when we're reaching out to God and the, the skies are brass and God seems silent, these words become ours. And the key point is here is this is not an unspiritual act. Let's remember that it was said of Jesus that he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. But the critical thing here is that it is addressed to God. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. This is a voice of faith. The voice of spirituality. Asaph's faith is not dead. But he carries on in his language of anguish. I remembered you, O God, and guess what? It didn't bring help. I groaned. I meditated in my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago, and guess what? They weren't helping. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated. My spirit asked, and we're going to see some questions here that are going to be absolutely devastating. And those questions contain words like reject. Will they never show? Vanish, fail, forgot, anger, withheld compassion. These are the words, will the Lord forget me forever? Will he never show his favor again? Will his unfailing of vanish? Has his promise failed? Has God forgotten? Has he withheld his compassion? This is the language of confrontation and despair. Three basic questions are emerging from this little, uh, this little thing that, that, that Asaph is going through. And he's asking basically three questions. One, has God rejected me? Two, has God failed me? Three, has God forgotten me? And I'll tell you, any one of those questions is devastating. But three of them together is overwhelming. And the memory of God seemed to bring even more pain. God was silent. The ceiling was brass. And the pain was real. Now, I don't know where you are in all of this. But my suspicion is we've, that we've all been there. Or perhaps even some of you, some of us here today, are even there now. I've been there. It's my personal testimony. I've been there. I've been here with Asaph more than once. 
Asaph's words of worship were very much mine on a number of occasions. And the beauty of what we're reading here in these verses is that Asaph legitimizes these thoughts and words, and he brings them into the world of faith, as odd as that sounds. And I find great comfort in knowing this. And we don't hurry through this. One writer wrote, Refuse to be comforted. Do not give in to acceptance too soon. Keep your hands stretched out in appeal like the woman in Jesus' parable in Luke 18. But, and you knew that was coming. The psalm does not end there. It doesn't end in verse 9. He doesn't end with a sigh of anguish. He doesn't leave us in a world of despair. There are still 11 verses to go. Now we move into the second part of the psalm, and we move to what we call, or I've called, a song. We've gone from a sigh to a song. A song of remembrance and confidence, and now we're in verses 10 to 20. And look what he does. He does remember. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. And what Asaph does is he goes beyond his own personal history and the situation he finds himself in, and he begins to take the long view. And he begins to talk about God's redemptive work in his past, in his nation's past, in time's past. And he realizes that there's something much bigger going on here. And he goes back actually to the great exodus. They won that, that the event that, that God brought his people out of captivity from Egypt and into freedom. It's interesting, he, he goes, he begins to talk about the Red Sea, verse 16. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and rise. The very depths were convulsed. Look at verse 19. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. So he begins to talk about the mighty exodus and how God had redeemed his people from that time and place of slavery. Then he, and, and then he talks about, and, and maybe it's a thunderstorm here, the clouds poured, out down, poured down water, the heavens resounded with thunder, your arrows flashed back and forth, your thunder was heard in the whirlwind, your lightning lit up the world, the earth trembled and quaked. Perhaps he's talking about a thunderstorm there. I actually think he's talking about God's revelation of himself on Mount Sinai. When they were at the foot of Mount Sinai, it was terrifying. The mountain shook. Lightning and thunder and the revelation of a, of a thrice holy God as Moses goes and receives the Ten Commandments and the instructions for Israel's future. So he goes back to that pivotal event in Israel's history. He remembers that. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> this may sound a little weird, but I really enjoy anniversary services. You know, often anniversary services happen in churches maybe when, not think, when things are not necessarily going all that well. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. 
But you know, it helps us take a long look. We go over the history of the church, our forefathers and our foremothers and those who have gone before and the ones upon whose shoulders we are building. And we remember how God has worked in the past to bring us to this point. And we sing inevitably at an anniversary service, great is thy faithfulness. And we need to remember that as we go on in our faith and our spirituality, it must be a faith of both remembrance of what God has done in the past as well as anticipation for the future. And what seems to be impossible becomes possible as we remember what God has done, is doing, and will do. And then the psalm ends with this lovely verse at verse 20. Again, I think referring to the exodus and the wilderness wanderings. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And I love the idea that Asaph ends the psalm with God pictured as a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd is one of the most well-known and encouraging words found anywhere in Scripture. I don't think I've ever been to a funeral that I've ever been participated in or attended a funeral where Psalm 23 was not read, even in, for unbelievers. Words of immense comfort and confidence when our worlds are crashing around us. The Lord is our shepherd. So, in this psalm, we find Asaph, the psalmist, leading us through the pilgrimage of an anguished sigh to a song of remembrance and confidence. And what gives me great hope and encouragement, this man was a spiritual leader in the life of the people of God. And yet he can pen and sing a psalm like this and give it to the congregation, or at least Jonathan can give it to the congregation for the people to sing as part of their public worship. I think that's amazing. And encouraging. A sigh, yes, in faith, as an act of worship. We ask those three questions Has God rejected me? Has God failed me? Has God forgotten me? But then the psalm doesn't end there. It goes on, verse 11 down to verse 20, to go to a song of remembrance and confidence. He remembers the great events of the past, especially the great events of the Exodus and Sinai. And he concludes with this beautiful picture as God, of God as the shepherd of his people. So what do we take away? What are some of the things that we can kind of grab on and hold on as we leave today? First of all, we have an encounter with God. I think that's the most important thing. We have an encounter with God. The God of Asaph is our God, now revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Asaph's song and sigh are ours, and we can sing it to Jesus. We are invited into the throne room of grace with both the anguish sigh and the song of remembrance and confidence. You know, it's interesting. As we look at Asaph and what he says, I skipped a couple of verses. And I find it fascinating that Asaph begins and he talks about the character of God that he is now locking his faith into. And when you look at verse 13, he says, your ways, God, are holy. 
We sang about that a few minutes ago. And we are reminded that this is such a formidable thought in such a context. The God who dwells in inapproachable light, his acts are unmarred and untainted. And this is really important when we begin to think and challenge God in what's going on in our lives right now. Our God is He talks about God's greatness and power. What what God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. Whether in the great exodus, whether in Sinai, or all the other events of Israel's history, he is reminded of the great power of God. And then he talks about God's redemption. He talks about his holiness. He talks about his greatness. Then he talks about his redeeming power. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. And again, he goes back to Egypt. He goes back to the Exodus. He goes back to, back to Sinai. He goes back to that pivotal touchstone event where God redeemed his people, brought them out of the land of slavery, and gave them freedom and formed them as a nation. Jacob and Joseph got them there, and they refused to leave, but then God got them out. And so when we are in our times of distress and pain, wondering if where God is, what's going on, God is silent, the ceilings are are brass. Three things come flying out of this psalm when we encounter God. Number one, God is holy. Number two, God is great. And number three, God is a redeeming and saving God. And by the way, we're going to celebrate that in a few moments as we celebrate communion. There's good news here. This, is, this text is the gospel. It's such good, it's good news for us. It's good news for the world. We can invite people to be part of this faith and engage with this God to believe in. And you know what? There's something even greater going on here. While, while God and, and, and while Asaph celebrated the great exodus as the redeeming moment in Israel's history, we are now past that and Jesus Christ has come and he's died on a cross and there is a new exodus that has happened that is redeeming us from the world and power of sin through the cross of Jesus Christ. And again, that's something we're going to celebrate in a few moments. The psalm takes us to Jesus and his saving grace, and that's good news. There's challenge here. Absolutely. Can we talk to God in this way? Can can we worship with words like, are you rejecting me? Asaph was the worship leader in Israel. He was a director. It was given to the director of music. It was written for public use. It was sung as part of the worship life of the people of God. And so perhaps we need to expand our understanding of what is appropriate worship. More and wider words, more and wider prayers, more and wider readings of scripture, more and wider use of biblical text and preaching, and the courage to use the full vocabulary of the Psalms and the psalmists in our prayer and worship. So how do we respond to all this? And you know, I have no idea how each of us, how each of you are responding to all this. This psalm has been huge, or psalms like this, not this one in particular. I haven't spent a lot of time in it. I just prepared it for, for this Sunday. But so many psalms like it. 
have made a huge impact on my prayer life, my worship life, my understanding of my relationship to God and He with me. A psalm like this has been profound and life-shaping for me. And I trust that some of this rubs off on all of us here. And by the grace and power of God's Spirit, each of us can join Asaph in his sigh and his song in whatever situation we're finding ourselves in. But now we remember. We remember the new exodus found in Jesus. Exodus and deliverance from the power and kingdom of sin. We call it communion. And we are going to move into that now. God bless you all.